2: Well, good morning, everyone. Hope uh, you're having a a fabulous week and a blessed Saturday. Um, I'm your host, Alfadi, and if you're joining us, you're listening to Let Us Reason. And as always, you can always um, visit our website to listen not only to this episode, but all of the previous ones on our archive. The website is CIRA International, and that's C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A International dot com. Go to our section uh, about the uh, podcast called Let Us Reason. Also, you can listen uh, listen to it directly from soundcloud.com forward slash let-us-reason. Uh, I'd like to welcome you, and also i like to welcome a dear brother uh, with me today. Today's topic and next week's topics is going to be about a very, um, yet again, troubling trend that... Uh, We are noticing, and especially someone like me who comes from a Muslim background, uh, among some of the mission community, uh, although I want to be clear that um, um, these missionaries and these mission communities are well-meaning, basically, in their approaches to Muslims. Sadly, oftentimes, they venture into things that are troubling in terms of how they ought to share the gospel with Muslims. And based on the challenges they're faced with, unfortunately, they venture into some approaches that I've talked about in the past, like the Insider Movement, for instance, the camel Method. And today uh, with me here, our dear brother, Adam Simnowitz, who is going to also talk to us about yet another uh, terminology called the Muslim idiom translation. And uh, Adam, I'd like to welcome you, brother. How are you?
1: Doing well. And thank you for having me on your show.
2: Absolutely. And let me just give our audience just a brief background about you. Adam, by the way, is a minister with the Assembly of God and he lives in Dearborn, Michigan, where he has helped to start uh, Springwells Church. Now, in the early 2000s, he helped distribute a Muslim idiom translation in Arabic, basically some biblical translation, without him knowing uh, or realizing that that's what it was. And the content of this, the so-called audio uh, panoramic Bible. So upon listening to uh, this production, he was definitely uh, disturbed by it to find that this audio version of the Gospel of Luke changed references to God as Father and Jesus as Son of God. So this, at least, gives you an idea about why Adam has been ever since very focused on issues like this. So Adam... Please tell people what happened after that.
1: Well, I would like to give some background. My wife and I spent almost two years in Jordan learning Arabic in order to return to Dearborn, which has a very high concentration of Arabic-speaking peoples. And while uh, I was there during my last semester, which was early 2000, I went to a class at the seminary in Amman, Jordan, and there was a person there named Peter Tweel with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and he was talking about a, an upcoming article by, a, by one of his colleagues, a person named Rick Brown, who was talking about how Son of God and Son of Man really have the opposite meanings. That Son of God actually refers to Jesus' deity, uh, humanity, rather, and that Son of Man refers to his deity. And that article was then released in a uh, a magazine called International Journal of Frontier Missions, which has had a name change, and now it's known as International Journal of Frontier Missiology. When I listened to Peter's presentation, I thought, this seems kind of like a fad. It seems like it's based on a, a lack of knowledge of the Bible as well as Uh, Islam. And I really didn't think that it would go very far. Well, when my wife and I returned back to the States in the end of May of 2000, a local layperson in Dearborn uh, was actually handing those out. And so through different uh, joint ventures, um, we would hand them out. And then I think I handed out to one person a set or of, of these, at that point they were audio cassettes, and I kept one for myself, and then I think I gave another set back to the to this layperson person who was handing them out. We were told that this was simply a well-produced even uh, well-produced evangelistic tool, and the first part of it had it was it's called Lives of the Prophets, and that has been changed now to Stories of the Prophets in Arabic. It's called Qisas al anbiya right and the first part of it what it does is it takes people that are named in the Quran as well as in the Bible and it gives you it gives the biblical what should be the biblical account of the lives of these people so beginning with people, with Adam uh, Noah Abraham Moses and all the way it ends with Jesus and we were handing them out and I never thought anything about listening to them Because we were told that this evangelistic tool was, uh, it was just to help introduce Jesus to Muslims, and it didn't use the term, Son of God. So I didn't think much about that. When, though, in the fall of 2006, a local Wycliffe missionary asked me and several others to help him out with a promotional campaign, because we have a large population of Muslims from southern Iraq in Dearborn, as well as the Detroit area. It was then that we began learning that this was considered an audio panoramic Bible. So I decided to listen to it, even though I had been handing it out for some six years, uh, or part of handing it out. And I was shocked to find out not only was every reference to Jesus as Son and Son of God changed to Messiah, but every reference to God as Father was changed to either God or Lord. And to my dismay, the entire 15th chapter of Luke was missing. Hmm. And as you know, that contains the story of the prodigal
2: son. Exactly. And well, what do you think what do you think, the reason, the main reason why it's missing versus, for instance, uh, making some changes as well to it?
1: The stated reason is that Muslims misunderstand what Father and Son of God mean.
2: No and kidding. No kidding.
1: So the, because of that, they say that Muslims can never understand Father and Son in reference to God and Jesus in a way that is that does not, in their minds, mean creation between god and mary or the biological son of god and mary
2: hmm. okay uh well I'm, I'm gonna hold my peace for now uh keep going brother
1: yes there are however uh some, um, a much deeper deeper problem with why um this is actually being done because it actually has nothing to do with language it actually has to do with philosophy somebody say theology. In, yeah. uh, in my research, the very first Muslim idiom translation was produced by a man named David Owen. Now, at that time, uh, this was 1987 when it was produced, it was called... It, there was, I'm sorry, there was not... The, the term Muslim idiom translation was not used. It had not yet been coined. However... Uh, this per- particular uh, p- uh, production, which happened to be a book, it was a Harmony of the Gospels. It was done in Arabic, and it was, and it is called Sirat al-Nasir. Now, that is just the title alone, if you know something about Arabic and Islam ought to be
2: very troubling. Absolutely. Uh, we had a guest uh, speaker, uh, John Spann, whom you know yourself, uh, and we talked about uh, Sirat al-Masih, and we mentioned the word Sirah actually uh, gravitated immediately towards the history of Islam and the biography of the Prophet. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I named my ministry Sira, uh to uh, make it uh, Muslim-friendly at least, so that they will be willing at least to explore what we have to offer to them.
1: And David Owen wrote a, an article that was published in 1991 called A Jesus Movement Within Islam. And in this paper, he lays out what we today call the insider movement for Muslims. Mm-hmm. And in this paper, he has a section that is called A New Approach to Bible Translation. And I will quote in part some, some things that are very relevant to this topic. It is a necessary requirement that Islamic-styled Bible translations be produced in order for a Jesus movement in an Islamic context to ever get off the ground.
2: So let me, let, let me stop you right here, brother. So in David Owen's mind, for the last 1,400 years, God has failed and failed miserably to start a movement among Muslims.
1: You could say that, although he doesn't blame God, but in this paper he says that Christian missions to Muslims has been uh, a huge failure.
2: Well, when God says, I will be with you, and I will empower you, you receive power from above, that means God really did not come forward with his promise yet for 1,400 years.
1: You would have to conclude that from his writings.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry to disrupt you. Go ahead, brother.
1: He then continues, Bible translators will play a foundational role in the initial stages of a Hadaka Isawiya, or Jesus movement. In carrying out their task, they will also take a consolidating step in the work of re-theologizing the Christian message within Muslims' particular context. Hmm. So he, he went on to say in this paper that Muslims don't need to convert they can remain Muslim and have saving faith in Jesus. But the only way that can be sustained is if Bible translations take out Trinitarian language and use Islamic terminology in its place.
2: Obviously, um, you know, uh, Muslim, of course, is not going to accept the Trinitarian language And if you want to make it to be uh, Muslim-basically compliant, if you wish, um, certainly I can see why you want to remove any and everything that is a hindrance in the mind of a Muslim. So having said that, brother, so what's the purpose then of preaching a gospel to a Muslim knowing that he's going to reject the biblical language? Why don't we just give him their own book and just move on from there?
1: Well, it's like you had just said. We believe that Scripture is the truth, it's inspired by God. And we who've been saved, we enjoy firsthand the relationship of what it is to be children or sons of God. And that relationship is based on the truth that God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so for many of the statements of faith that you find among evangelical organizations, whether it be churches or parachurch organizations, such as missions organizations that are not denominational, they will put in, usually in the, the, the first or second statement, that we believe that God is eternally existent as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible... is based on God's triune nature.
2: Amen. And uh, just to uh, my audience, if you are joining us right now, you're listening to Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al-Fadi. With me here is our brother uh, Adam Simnowitz and he is a minister with the Assembly of God. Adam, um, you just earned a master's uh, degree, correct? Yes, that was in December of 2015. And uh, is it in Islamic studies? Okay, and and uh, the focus uh, of your study or research was on issues as uh, that we're discussing right now, which is Muslim idiom translation am I correct yes very good so uh uh adam i'm I'm really disturbed of course by what I'm hearing even though I myself is at the thick of it and as you know brother, we are part of a larger forum that deals with issues like this but um beyond what you have just described um what can uh, uh, you know, we do, at least at our level, meaning as ministers and people who are exposing uh, these false realities, if you wish, to alarm and also to assist both the mission community and the church and the churchgoers?
1: That's the very reason why I was asked by one of my superiors to write, the brochure that uh, will be um, put on Biblical mythology at the end of June.
2: And I think we are going to talk about this brochure. I doubt we can cover it today, but maybe next week uh, we. I would like for us to get into it. Um, what else, from your research, have you uh, uh, discovered that you can shed uh, lights on with us here re- related to this so-called Muslim idiom translations, meaning examples of that, Products that people can be aware of, in addition to Sirat al Masih, of course.
1: Well, here's a a good rule of thumb. If a Bible translation has been published from 1987 through or um, later than 1987, then there's a very good reason for you to ensure that it uses literal translations for father and son with reference
2: to God and Jesus. Why 1987? What happened right before that? Is it the same thing you just mentioned about David Owen, or was there other factors as well?
1: No, it it just is, that is the, based on the research that I and others have done, this is the earliest known example of a Muslim idiom translation.
2: Got it. Got it.
1: So, uh, it, it also, though, um, brings in a level of complication because the most of the Muslim medium translations that, are, that have been done and are being done are in languages that most Americans wouldn't readily speak. So, for instance, Albanian, Arabic, Baluchi, Bengali, Indonesian, Malay, Oromo, Syriaki, Tomachek, Turkish, and Urdu. Um, there's, I've heard that there's going to be one in Gujarati that's in the process. Uh, of being produced. There are, it's not only printed works, it also unfortunately extends to the Jesus film. Now I want to make it very clear that Campus Crusade or Crew does not approve of this, but there are unauthorized versions of the Jesus film that have been distributed and uh, are possibly even online.
2: In other words, when you say unauthorized, that mean um, just uh, the name was used uh, to give the impression that it is part of the same group of Jesus film, basically? Yes. That's um, that's sad, brother, because this is an act of deception here, uh, if you ask me. Yes, it is. And
1: <sighs> it, I have... I I get into some of this in my thesis, but it is a very uh, disturbing, disturbing uh, aspect to this whole uh, thing that we call Muslim idiom translation.
2: Once again, for just the benefit of those who just joined us, um, if you can give a definition for Muslim idiom translation, and I want to ask you right after that about what I call Muslim-friendly translation.
1: Well, the definition that I give in my thesis is that M- Muslim translation is any so-called translation of Scripture that uses language which upholds an Islamic worldview.
2: Example. Give, give maybe uh, one or two quick examples, because we want to talk more about some of the uh, translations that are used, like, by the Sharif Bible, for instance.
1: Okay. The Sharif Bible in Arabic. If you look at First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, it contains the first part of the Islamic confession of faith, or the shahada. Right. There is no God but Allah. Right. And so in place of one God, they, they, it is swapped out with the uh, Arabic phrase, there is no God but Allah.
2: And that's in 1 Corinthians.
1: Chapter 8, verse 4.
2: Yeah, I don't remember ever reading this in uh, Greek, but I could be maybe looking at a wrong Greek, probably.
1: Well, unfortunately, the Sharif Bible is the first uh, medium translation that I'm aware of that incorporates the first part of the Shahada. But now, there, since that has been produced, there are two new uh, uh, versions in Arabic. One is called al Injil. And the other one is called The True Meaning of the Gospel of Christ and its companion volume, The Bold Proclamation of the Apostles of Christ. And they also incorporate the first part of the Shahada. And what's interesting is that all of them contain the Shahada more times than is contained in the Quran.
2: Wow. Um, I just want to give my audience just a glimpse of what this means. Do you know that the Shahada is not even found in the Quran? You cannot find a verse that has the entire Shahada in it. And we come back and volunteer it for them in the Bible. What an amazing, amazing work indeed. Brother, we have limited time left. Because we're going to revisit this topic once again next week, tell people why this is an important topic for us to discuss.
1: Well, it goes to the very heart of all that we believe, which is based on the Bible being God's inspired word. If Father and Son language can just be changed with Islamic terminology or any other kind of terminology, it is a practical denial that the words of God itself are inspired by him. Amen. And, and like I said, Our whole basis for relating to God as his children or as his sons is then eliminated. And that brings us closer to an Islamic message in which God is the master and the believer is his slave. There is no intimacy.
2: Absolutely, brother. And and that's what I said earlier is like, what's the benefit even to try to do a translation? Just give the Quran to the Muslim and tell him to find salvation in there. And shame on the 1.6 billion Muslims for not being saved by now. And the other thing that I want to also mention, and I'm sure, Adam, you are aware of this because you deal with my Muslim people all the time and evangelizing and reaching out for them with a the message of truth. As a Muslim myself, when I was growing up that way, and now I'm a former Muslim, meaning I left Islam, which is a religion, not a culture. As a former Muslim today, I can tell you when I was growing up as a Muslim, like any Muslim, I believed that the Bible is corrupt. Why? Because Christians and Jews corrupted it. So what do you think that MIT is doing? Exactly the same thing that Muslims believe wholeheartedly.
1: Yes, and this is, this is a very shameful and embarrassing thing. We, we have, as professing evangelicals, exceeded what Jehovah's Witnesses have done to the Bible.
2: And of course, and of course, um, uh, you know, uh, this is a deep topic and we have about two minutes left. uh, So we will begin to wrap up at least for uh, this week's show. And uh, next week, uh, brother, I would like for us now to come back and uh, once again quickly compare MIT to Muslim friendly translations and talk about why are so many people unaware of such a thing. And uh, where can someone find such copies? Because it's it's hard to find them here, at least, uh, normally, but they are typically, my understanding, are distributed largely outside the U.S., basically, meaning in the Middle East and in Turkey and in other areas as well. Am I correct in that assessment?
1: To a degree, because of the great amounts of immigrants that have, uh, Muslim immigrants that are in Europe uh, and the Americas and uh, other non-Islamic nations, you can find many copies of Musliminian translations, uh, whether it's online, in print, audio, audiovisual materials.
2: Excellent. And we will definitely revisit this next week so people know where to find it now because it's apparently coming to a neighborhood near you. Well, um, uh, thank you so much for you, Adam, uh, for joining us. Uh, I appreciate uh, your uh, willingness to serve, brother, and I'm looking forward to our next episode together. And to my audience, thank you so much for making time for us. This was uh, another episode of Let Us Reason. The topic today was on Muslim idiom translation, and next week we'll elaborate further on that. Until we meet again, have a blessed week.